Sometimes our commander-in-chief, ideally upholder of the law, fails to inspire us. Take the 1970s. Well, I'm not a crook. Or the 90s. I did not have sexual relations with that woman. And now the 21st century. I'm an extremely stable genius. You're about to hear two attorneys make sense out of a legal system some say is a train wreck. Here are Royal Oaks and Connor Oaks. This is Too Many Lawyers. This is Too Many Lawyers. I'm Royal Oaks. And I'm Connor Oaks. Connor, I am so excited. We have a brand new feature we're adding to Too Many Lawyers this week. It's really going to be groundbreaking. Okay. Yeah, yeah. It's uh, it's not exactly legal. Uh, and so here's the deal. Oh, it's uh, not illegal. It's just not legal related. Oh, yeah. I okay, that's clear. important. We got to clarify that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's not related to... We don't do a lot of crimes yeah. on this podcast, although it might be a better podcast if it... That would be a true, true crime podcast. That's true. <laughs> So as soon as we finish in a half hour or so with the regular show, sure. with the legal topics, yeah. which we'll get into in a second, we're going to inaugurate a new feature. And mm. so if people are, are bored by the idea, they can just, you know, go back to their normal lives after this. But here's here's the feature. It's titled... The Real Fans Will Stick Us Out. Yeah. Well, actually, I need to give a little background. Uh, Dwight Eisenhower wrote a bunch of books, but oh, near boy. the end of his life, he wrote a book uh, uh, titled Stories I Tell My Friends. So it was sort of nice. a, just a recap, yeah. you know, friendly stuff, not, you know, the crusade, the war in Europe. And it was just looking back, stories I, I tell my, I like to tell my friends. So here's okay. the title of this feature. Stories I'd tell my friends if I had any. To clarify, Harsh. I have several stories. Uh, yeah, that, That's the title of, of the, the feature. I like it. That's so really funny. That'll be, well, thank you very much. We're going to get to that <laughs> at the end of the show. Um, the questions of the day, we're going to address three of them. Number one, will Donald Trump go to jail for inciting the January 6th riot? Hmm. There's a congressional committee that's going after him and submitting filings in various uh, court venues. Question two, will the Boston bomber now be executed, according to the U.S. Supreme Court? Uh, there's a green light on that. And question number three, will Ghislaine Maxwell go free because a couple of her jurors were lying sacks, right. according to her lawyers? Yes. So we're going to get into all of those topics, plus the feature that we have had for many months, Guess the Verdict. We're going to do that at the end of the show as well. And uh, Connor's going to be asked to guess the outcome of the case of the Rastafarian Cook. Love it. The case of the Rastafarian Cook. So that's what's happening on this show. Before we get to whether Donald Trump is going to jail, I wanted to just chat a little bit about the um, the State of the Union um, by President Biden. You know, there were a couple of stumbles, Connor, and I didn't know if this concerned you or disturbed you. Uh-huh. Um, all right, people misspeak. You know, the, everybody stumbles over words. But Biden, when he was talking about the Ukrainian people, he referred to the Iranian people yeah, instead of confusing. Ukrainian. Yeah. I guess he's only a couple of letters off. Yeah. But then he went off script. We know exactly what the script for the State of the Union was, right. what was built into the, the yeah. teleprompter. He ad-libbed. He decided to call an audible, okay? And he was talking about COVID, and mm -hmm. he injected a line not on the teleprompter, and he said, you can't build a wall high enough to keep out a vaccine. He we meant virus. He meant virus. Yeah. That's a good both, line, though. They both start with V. So he just injected that line? Like, that both, wasn't in the script. Both have two syllables. That's a very clever right, idea. I, was that really clever for him to inject a line and then totally blow it? Was, <laughs> that, was that clever? Okay, clever might be the wrong word, but it was a well, it was a well you know, constructed line if he had delivered it. Yeah. Well, <laughs> we'll, we'll cut him some slack yeah. since we're, you know, we're sort of at war. Yeah, a little bit. Uh, and, oh, newsflash. This is interesting. I think we this is an exclusive for too many lawyers. A member of the California State Assembly, Connor, has just arrived from the planet Neptune. 
Ooh. Yeah, yeah. She, I can't is, wait. This is the only explanation for oh. the fact that a member of the California State Assembly, yeah. um, she sent out a tweet. Mm-hmm. She posted a picture of two homeless tents mm-hmm. on a city sidewalk, okay? Mm-hmm. Yes. Two homeless tents yeah. on a city sidewalk in March 2022, and her tweet was... Can we explain this? Who is responsible? Solutions, please. What? Well, that kind of went viral. Seriously? What, uh, what other explanation? She obviously is just here from Venus. Uh. One clever response on, on the Twitterverse was, oh, did someone venture out of her gated community? Yeah, I mean. How clueless just, are you uh, yeah. when we've got this homelessness issue, regardless Major. of where you stand on right. it, for her to act like, Oh my gosh, yeah, so ladies dumb. and gentlemen, two tents on the sidewalk. It's so dumb. I mean, I I, I can construct a narrative where I, I give her the absolute maximum benefit of the doubt, which I obviously prefer not to do because what's the point? She's an elected official. She should be held to a high standard in terms of her public communications. She probably has a PR director who's, I should hope, you know, getting a stern talking to slash being fired. But I mean, come on. I mean, you can't pretend act like this is an issue that hasn't been at the forefront of, of the news for, for multiple years now, that we have homelessness crisis in California and, and the rest of the country as well, but California is especially bad. Um, and we need to take steps to solve that. I'm sure she probably ran on a platform that involved a strong position one way or another on what we steps we could take to solve homelessness. The idea, uh, you know, that she's in control of her Twitter account is no, no politician should be in control of their own Twitter account. They need to hand these things. Well, off we, to the we know that. Yeah, yeah, we learned that the hard for way. Sure. All right. The big questions of the day. Will Donald Trump go to jail for inciting the January mm-hmm. 6th riot? So here's why this issue is bubbling to the surface again. Uh, there's a House of Representatives committee investigating the attack. And they said on March 2, there is enough evidence to conclude that Trump and his allies committed the crimes of fraud and obstruction of justice. They were doing a filing in a civil case in California. They laid out the criminal case outline against Trump and against Professor John Eastman. And that's a very big difference here. The civil case of fraud is, oh, you you pay some money if you do something bad. But the criminal case is where we're talking about going to jail. That is what's most important here. Yeah, yeah. And and Eastman is claiming, by the way, uh, the attorney-client privilege. What happened was, and everybody kind of knows the story because there's so many books being written about it, when Trump was desperate to come up with some theory why he should stay in office, Professor John Eastman and a few other lawyers said, oh, well, you know, uh, you could rely on the Electoral Account uh, Act of uh, the 1870s, and you could rely on a precedent. Thomas Jefferson did something. Richard Nixon did something when they were vice presidents that had some sort of an impact on the count of the electoral right. votes. And so he so Eastman peddled this theory to Trump, and uh, Eastman had, had meetings with him. Now, Trump and Eastman are saying, well, these were secret conversations subject to the attorney-client privilege. So Eastman Eastman has been, he has filed a suit of his own asking a judge to declare that he does not have to produce tweets and and documents and talk about what he told the president because of the attorney-client privilege. Yeah. And the answer by the House of Representatives is, hey, guess what? There's a crime fraud exception to this privilege. And so we don't think you're going to be able to rely on it. You you think this this might stand up? It's a complicated legal issue here, right? Eastman has asserted attorney-client privilege, and because of what they call, as you said, the crime-fraud exception, attorney-client privilege is absolute except when it's not, right? Your uh, 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 
if somebody comes to you and says, I'd like you to be my lawyer and defend me in the case that I am accused of a crime, and you say, sure, that's what I do for a living. Absolutely. And then they say to you, okay, now that you're my lawyer, I will admit to you in confidence, I committed the crime. That is protected by a current client privilege, and no one can make you as the lawyer disclose that. On the other hand, if you if you're the lawyer's services are used in the process of committing a crime, like defrauding somebody, right? Then lying that, to that people. is not protected by the attorney-client privilege. If somebody comes to you and says, uh, "Hey, uh, John Eastman, I would like uh, to engage you as my lawyer, and together we will engage in a criminal conspiracy to defraud the United States and overturn a valid election and uh, install me as a uh, as a despot or whatever he was trying to do," um, then. The information re- related to that, regarding that, is not protected by the attorney-client privilege because there's a specific exception to the AC privilege, and it says you can't use it to shield crimes. Right. You can use it to shield the past commission of an unrelated crime that has nothing to do with the lawyer that the lawyer is helping defend the person on, or is not. If you're the tax lawyer, and while while in the course of being your guy's tax lawyer, you discover that he committed a murder— that might be co- uh, covered by the attorney-client privilege. You could shield it because in the commission of your job as a lawyer, it would be covered. The the issue here is John Eastman tries to throw the shield up and say, oh, well, you're accusing him of civil fraud, and therefore I can, uh, I can defend this. There's no crime involved. So the House says, well, we, even though we can't prosecute crimes uh, ourselves, we're just the House of Representatives, all we can do is refer things to mm-hmm. the DOJ. Criminal referral, right. Then they would prosecute the crime. But they're saying, it is our belief as the House of Representatives that a crime was committed here, and as a result, you should not be able to assert that shield in your lawsuit. So let's go to the very core of this claim against Trump that could lead to him uh, residing in the Gray Bar Hotel. white hot uh, ball of Big Macs that is uh, (laughs) at the center of this whole issue, Donald Trump. So the government would need to show that Trump had intent to defraud to convict him. If he believed his case for the election being stolen because a lawyer told him, well, here's a theory, you may have a case, gee, what about the video, somebody bringing a suitcase into the, the Florida polling place, or because he's mentally ill, then he probably skates with respect to a criminal charge. that's how crimes work, is we have to have some concept right. of scienter, as we talked about last week on the pod. You have to have criminal intent. Your mind has to be you know, diseased or, or, or evil or, or bad. You have to intend to commit a crime. It's not a crime unless it's a strict liability crime, and this is not one of those cases. From a political standpoint, though, I mean, why wouldn't Republicans welcome Trump being put on the bench as a result of him being indicted, he's on trial, you know, the whole nation has got a real question about whether he's a criminal or maybe he's in jail. Because I I don't know, maybe I don't have the best crystal ball, but unless he's charged with a crime, if we're going to fast forward to 2024, he's going to run. He'll see himself running as a get out of jail free card. Oh, yeah. And if he runs, he'll get the nomination because- He's got, what are they, whether it's 25 or 35 or 45% of the Republicans, Radidates, he's got them, yeah. and, every, and a dozen other people are gonna split share the rest. all of the rest. Yeah. How is he not on the ballot in November 2024 without uh, the DOJ hauling him up on criminal charges? I agree. I think he absolutely wins the primary. It's a slam dunk. The question of whether he wins the general is a much tougher one, because he got more votes than anyone else in American history, except Joe Biden, Yeah, but that line that he likes, it has to do with 
COVID and the fact that everybody voted by mail. That's why everybody got, you know, Biden broke the record. Yeah, Trump broke the record. Maybe, maybe it was vote by mail. Maybe it was sort of the inflammation of politics in American life that drew more people into that sphere and made them just be more attentive. Maybe a crisis like COVID makes people say, I want to have my voice be heard because I have opinions about how stuff should go down because, oh boy, uh, you know, stuff's getting messed up right now. That's for sure. Who knows what exactly it was? It's a combination of factors. It's really impossible for anybody, political scientists, actual scientists, anybody to really diagnose uh, why exactly so many people voted in that uh, in that election and if it's going to happen again. But I think you're right. He slams uh, his way through the, uh, you know, kicks down the door in the primary in, in, a, in a, a trouncing, <laughs> beating all the, you know, Mitt Romney, Ted Cruz losers who have no chance of of actually amassing a, a real following because they're all milk toast, boring the same. And it's just going to kneecap Nikki Haley. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and uh, and then, yeah. It's not he, pleasant image. He but. runs into what, you know, could be a, a buzzsaw of a progressive, um, you know, candidate who comes out of, out of nowhere. I mean, it could be another uh, Kamala uh you know, it excites people. They'll see. She'll be old enough by then. Who knows? I don't know. We'll, we'll see. I, I, I don't think it's going to be Biden, uh, but but that's just a, it's just a guess. When we come back, will the Boston bomber ever be executed? But first, Connor's going to tell you how to rate and subscribe to Too Many Lawyers. Yeah, check us out on whichever podcast platform you like. Uh, podcast Addict, uh, Stitcher, Spotify. Usually that's going to be Apple Podcasts because most people have got iPhones. So make sure it's pushed to your iPhone every week by going to uh, Too Many Lawyers in the Apple uh, Podcast Store and clicking Join. It's free. We love it. And you uh, can also leave us a little written note review, which we also appreciate. We'll be right back. This is Too Many Lawyers. I'm Royal Oaks. And I'm Connor Oaks. So will the Boston bomber ever be executed? To refresh everybody's memory, this uh, this horrific crime, uh, two brothers um, put uh, pipe bombs, shrapnel bombs there by the uh, Boston Marathon. Uh, and uh, several people were killed. Uh, many people were injured. Uh, one of the brothers, the older brother, uh, was killed by cops uh, when they were on the run. But the younger brother was captured and he was convicted and he was sentenced to death. And then a lower court said that um, pretrial publicity uh, tainted the sentence, uh, that uh, as a result, the the uh, sentence of death should be tossed out. Supreme Court has now just reversed that lower court ruling, six to three, <laughs> strictly by uh, liberal versus conservative. All three liberals voted against uh, this, and right. all three conservatives right. voted for it. Uh, Justice Breyer's dissent said that the, uh, the judge should have let the jury hear that the defendant was under the control of his older brother, kind of a Svengali thing. Uh, and that would be a mitigating factor that should have been before the jury to allow them to consider whether to actually uh, give the death sentence or not. The, the problem I have, Connor, is I'm not quite sure why that uh, issue of the control of the older brother, if, if you're going to keep it away from the jury with respect to uh, the, the sentence of death, why wouldn't it also taint the underlying guilt conviction, the, the guilty uh, verdict by the jury? Uh, it, it just well, doesn't seem to be uniquely applicable Sarnaya, to the death sentence. The younger brother actually didn't contest his guilt. He never said, I didn't engage in the Boston bombing. I wasn't involved or right. anything else. So uh, the 
the evidence that he wanted to bring in, specifically that the older brother had on a previous three years previous on an anniversary of 9-11 killed three people and and uh, had, had drawn the younger brother into it and made the younger brother complicit. And he's, you know, now he's he's stuck and he's in it. And there's no way out other than to be a terrorist with the older brother who's who's implicated him in these three prior murders. Right. Um, that uh, uh, notion um, that, you know, that happened when the younger brother was 16 because he's 19 three years later mm-hmm. when the actual Boston bombing happened. So all that evidence was going to come in, well, theoretically might have come in, and trial judges in their courtrooms are the kings. They get to decide what evidence comes in front of the jury. The jury never knew in this case when they were deciding whether uh, the uh, he, during the sentencing phase, whether Sarnayev, the younger brother, should uh, get the death penalty. They had no idea that he had been drawn in at age 16 to this life of murderous terrorism by his older brother, That's uh, according to his defense lawyers. So uh, the Supreme Court uh, only got involved after a, a federal appeals court uh, located in Massachusetts, I think, um, because the crime happened in Massachusetts, although federal courts are not. It, it wasn't, a, it, these aren't state crime charges, actually. State uh, crime would never, uh, Massachusetts would never execute him because Massachusetts has abolished the death penalty. Right, but, but we these do have federal, the federal death penalty. Yeah, these are federal terrorism charges and the federal system has a separate court system completely and they have the death penalty. And so he's got a bunch of terrorism charges against him and this federal court said, um, uh, we're going to we're gonna ex- listen to the, uh, the defense on this one and be, say, oh yeah, we should have, the jury should should have heard uh, that evidence, it might have led to them exonerating him uh, as to the death penalty, it, it not exonerating him, sorry, it, sparing his life is still going to go to jail probably for the rest of his life. I'm sure the charges stack up to be maybe more, more years than he has life expectancy. Um, but uh, we're going to, you know, maybe he wasn't going to get the death penalty. So the federal appeals court sided with the defendant, with the with the terrorist, the young terrorist, and said, uh, yeah, you should have had the chance to put that evidence on and have the jury see that you were under the influence of your brother. And the Supreme Court reversed that. So that's how that's how we got there. You know, as to as to whether it was a would have been a strategic choice to dispute I, the your guilt at all. I think I think it, there was so much publicity and so much evidence, and so, it was so overwhelming that obviously he was involved in the process. That his best defense was this, you know, I mesmerized type. Uh, so let's so let's get to the question of whether he is ever going to be executed. Yeah. All right, the U.S. Supreme Court has now reinstated the death penalty, but guess what? Just like in California, where right. Governor Newsom says, not on my watch. Yes, technically capital punishment is legal in California, but right. I'm not going to sign any authorization for any executions, and yeah. he has to approve it. Yeah. Similarly, President Biden is saying, I'm not going to have any executions at the federal level. I believe his AG, Merrick Garland, is on board with him. Now, well, Stephen Biden Breyer said, has, has said, I think uh, capital punishment may well be yeah. cruel and unusual punishment. Yeah. It, Biden's administration restarted a moratorium that Trump mm-hmm. had undone. So near the end of – so Trump had a, this this death penalty moratorium through most of his his, uh, his time in office. And then very near the end of, the morat- of, the, of uh, Trump's term, he – in a somewhat surprising move that people didn't really see coming, he ends the federal death penalty moratorium and then 13 people get executed back to back to back, like right near the end of his term, in the final year of his term. Mm-hmm. And people were shocked at this because we'd had a federal death penalty moratorium for a really long time. Then after these 13 people get killed, uh, Biden takes office and says, no, 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 we're going back to the moratorium so that the Justice Department can conduct a thorough review of policies and procedures. Now, that's mostly because... Biden and his administration are anti-death penalty. Now, doesn't mean all of them are, but 
the, enough of, uh, of them are uh, that they decided to reverse this policy and reinstate the moratorium, maybe legitimately to uh, conduct a, a review of the department's policies and procedures. But, you know, if you're an anti-death penalty person, as I am, I'd say conducting a thorough review of this is a good way of analyzing whether it's cruel and unusual punishment. I mean, the administration should be, have a hand as they are executing the laws faithfully. They've got to have a hand in deciding what cruel and unusual punishment is and looks like, even if there is oversight from the courts. The courts aren't the only body that determines, oh my gosh, is this thing that we're doing currently cruel and unusual? The executive branch, I think, is in a very important role in that. So I think it's obviously totally valid for, for Biden to reinstate this moratorium. Of course, some you can flip the argument on me and say, well, well wasn't it tr- totally valid for for uh, Trump to to uh, get rid of the moratorium? And unfortunately, I'd say because I hate uh, the federal death penalty and all death penalties. Yeah, it is valid. Well, for I Trump think there is an argument that. for the courts to decide whether or not something is cruel and unusual punishment. If the Congress and the people pass a law, I think it's the job of the executive branch to implement the law. But obviously, this is a very emotional issue. Yeah. And whether it's Newsom or Biden, we're not going to get much unanimity with respect to yeah, capital I, punishment. I, capital punishment seems like a very black and white issue, but it's actually not, it, it, in my opinion. In my opinion, it's very complicated because you've got if Congress passes a law that says uh, you can kill people for federal crimes of certain kinds like terrorism or whatever, that, that law that Congress passed, those the people elected members of Congress, they passed a law, that law gets written, it's a consensus between all the people in the Senate and all the people in the House and they get enough votes and that represents some of the people in this country but not all these people in this country and they all have different opinions and some are pro-death penalty and anti-death penalty and their representatives reflect their views or don't and then they come together and come up with a consensus law and the law says something like, Terrorism bad, execute if need be, or sometimes, or reasonable, or good if good thing, or whatever. Laws are written very badly and vaguely because they're the result of a bunch of people all coming together to reach a consensus. They're messy. The executive branch has an extremely real role in deciding what that law means. Like, for example... Oh, the dog wants to join the pod. The dog has an opinion the on capital punishment, clearly. on the podcast. All right, dog soft. So... Uh, the, the executive branch's role might come in and say, well, how do we execute this? We can't kill people by having them be torn apart by wild dogs, for example. Speaking of wild dogs, that would be cruel and unusual punishment. Uh, and then somebody in the executive branch might say, oh, man, you know. Tell that to dear uh, leader. Might be. North, Cur- North true, Korea. Absolutely. There might be no way to do this law without it violating the Constitution in terms of cruel and unusual punishment. And then the, the court might say, I mean, the, the executive branch might say, OK, well, we got a federal moratorium until we figure out if there's a way to do this that isn't for, uh, a cruel and unusual punishment. And then, of course, there is judicial review of the executive branch's actions, but that doesn't make the executive branch's uh, options, you know, choice of how they execute or don't this law in order to comply with the Constitution and everybody else's sense of morality and everything else. It doesn't make their decisions invalid just because the federal courts do get to oversee them later. Of course, there's a downside to this whole, well, let's think about it. Let's have a moratorium. The downside being Charlie Mann and lived decades after he should have been executed. Because you remember, Connor, back in the 1970s when the U.S. Supreme Court said, no capital punishment because, oh my gosh, maybe there's racism involved. We got to take a fresh look at this whole... And everybody on death row was converted to life in prison. And so we had Charlie. And so poor Phil Spector, when he was convicted of manslaughter and sent up to Corcoran State on his very first day, you remember the story of the guard comes in with a note 
Oh, this is a, a note from uh, from Mr. Manson to you. He admires work. Welcoming him to the prison. Uh, and I didn't know they had concierge, concierge service in prisons, no. but that's a downside in my mind yeah. to the whole this is basically fresh like look at Capital Punishment. Tinder for prisoners. I mean, there's a, you got to right. go through the guards, but it still works. Hey, when we come back, will Ghislaine Maxwell go free? Stick with us on Too Many Lines. This is Too Many Lawyers. I'm Roy Lopes. And I'm Connor Ups. So Ghislaine Maxwell, the girlfriend of Jeffrey Epstein, was convicted recently of helping him with his nefarious deeds, having sex with uh, with women, underage women. Girls, but, they're called. Yes. Yeah, well, underage. Yes. You know, but the, the problem now, Connor, is that apparently one and maybe two of the jurors are under suspicion in the Maxwell case for not having been completely honest and forthcoming about their own experiences with sexual abuse. And so right. her lawyers are pushing hard the idea, you know, I got to investigate, we get declarations and, and have a, an evidentiary hearing as to whether Juror 50 right. uh, uh, was honest, revealing his personal history with sex abuse. He's been talking to the media about it, but if you look at his questionnaire, he didn't really acknowledge it. Now, the juror is saying he's taking the fifth at this evidentiary hearing. He ain't going to be singing like a canary. And now the prosecutor has quickly said, oh, not to worry. Uh, We're not going to prosecute you. We're giving you immunity regarding the claim that you lied under oath during voir dire. This goes to a complicated uh, issue in uh, the the Fifth Amendment jurisdiction, I mean, uh, jurisprudence in America. You have the right to remain silent, as they say when they slam your face into the pavement on Law and Order episodes, and they drag you out in public, and etc. It's really bad, but whatever. Of course, if you stay silent, you're going to get your face slammed again. That's, so it's up to you. Yeah, it's a real big problem. Bad yeah, guy. Exactly. exactly. So uh, you have the right to remain silent, uh, and everything you say can will be used against you. Uh, and so if somebody, uh, if, if the court says, oh, you, this person may have committed a crime and we really want to figure out whether uh, Ghislaine Maxwell uh, got a fair trial, um, they're not talking about you uh, and, and whether you as a juror misbehaved. We just want to figure out what happened with Ghislaine and whether she got the, the trial she needed. Um, and so uh, we're just going to grant you immunity. And because we've granted you immunity for criminal liability for your actions. Now you have to talk or you'll go to prison. Right. For you no longer have Fifth Amendment rights against uh, to protect yourself from self-incrimination because you can't incriminate yourself. You will never be charged. Right. Now, uh, I would say that the example of uh, Bill Cosby, for example, uh, was told that he would was never was not going to be charged uh, for certain crimes. And he sang like a canary. And and then, uh, guess what? Afterwards, they charged him with some crimes, right? With the crimes that he admitted to while he thought he had immunity. So there is a danger uh, in the American legal system in depending on the prosecutor telling you, oh, yeah, you got immunity for sure. Absolutely. Uh, I promise. Because you might not have the immunity you think you do. The Fifth Amendment has some weaknesses in our system. Uh, you should probably be able to uh, stay mum regardless. But it's a very powerful. I mean, you know, what if you give well, you give the, the mob accountant uh, immunity and suddenly he can't uh, stay mom and has to tell you about Al Capone's taxes, right? Now, the the, the problem of the, of the mob uh, accountant uh, highlights is that maybe there are consequences other than criminal liability that you might want to protect yourself from if you uh, sing uh, like a canary. Now, in this case specifically, uh, maybe there are some powerful people out there that want Ghislaine Maxwell to rot in prison forever and have no possibility of getting out. 
or they may be, want her to go free. Who knows? Maybe there are some billionaires that, that Jeffrey Epstein uh, uh, fraternized with and, uh, and who are also guilty of sex crimes against children uh, and know lots of things about Ghislaine Maxwell. And Epstein and himself and his associates keep winding up committing suicide in prison under cir- suspicious circumstances. Mm-hmm. So Ghislaine fears for her life. The jurors related to this case, depending on what they might say, should probably also fear for their lives. And the idea that the, the, the government can say, well, since we won't be prosecuting you for your misbehavior as a juror and non-disclosure of, of facts and such uh, as a juror, uh, therefore you must uh, – can be compelled to testify because it's not against your interest to testify anymore. I don't know. What about public derision and ridicule and attacks and death threats and everything that will result from the, this person's you know uh, testifying about how they you know filled out a jury questionnaire in this case because it's such a high-profile public thing? What about this person – fearing for their life and them ending up, you know, depending on what they say one way or another, end up, you know, having committed suicide in their own home under suspicious circumstances. Are they going to hire security for the rest of their life? I mean, this is something no, the, fr- the right. Fifth Amendment does not address It's a messy situation. And, and it's especially messy since it's even more inside baseballish. There are different types of immunity. There's what they call transactional immunity or total immunity. But then there's also use immunity that only prevents the prosecution from using the witness's own testimony testimony, uh, if they get independent evidence from other sources, then they could still prosecute. So uh, it's it's very messy. I think what it boils down to, Connor, is that my idea mm-hmm. about giving lie detector tests to jurors is the way to go. Then we wouldn't have to fuss what, what, with all know, the immunities. So just hook them up to the polygraph, and if it turns out they lie, give right. them a lovely parting gift and yeah. send them home. You don't send them to jail, yeah. but we don't have lying sacks on the jury. It, you know, what's even better is if they take the lie detector pill. They swallow the pill, and then they can't tell any lies for the next hour. <laughs> Truth serum? Yeah, I just invented it. Wow. I mean, it doesn't work and doesn't exist, just like a polygraph doesn't yeah, well, work and doesn't exist. Yeah, well, if you can get a pill, the pill, if you can get a pill that 90, is 95% accurate according to the smartest polygraph experts on Venus right. and Earth, right. then I think we should go with your I, idea. I think it's about as effective as a polygraph, so that's perfect. So it is time, Connor, for Guess the Verdict. Are you ready for your yes, challenge? Yes, I am ready. Week, I, I was very interested in the teaser at the beginning of this uh, episode yeah. about this one. This, this one is the case the of the Rastafarian, Rastafarian cook. cook. Uh, so okay. I give Connor the facts of a real case. He guesses the outcome of the case. Are you ready? Yes. Okay. Born ready. There is a cook on an offshore drilling rig. Oh, wow. Okay. But he's fired for refusing to take a drug test. He admits that he would test positive for marijuana, but he said to the boss, I'd like to have some time to get clean before you, you give me this drug test. That makes sense. So yeah, <laughs> so the, this dude wanted Very you know, a little bit of help. Yeah. The owner of the rig admitted that, you know, it's not like the cook operated rig equipment, but the owner pointed out that an impaired cook might spill hot grease. And therefore, he justified firing the Come guy on. for refusing to Come take the on. test. So um, the firing is challenged in yeah. court. Yeah. Uh, Connor, who do you think won? The uh, the dude who's the cook on the uh, oil rig or um, well, the rig he's a, owner? A, he's got a, a powerful First Amendment uh, freedom of religion argument, given that uh, marijuana can be part of religious sacraments in Rastafarianism. So uh, I think that that's, that's a wrinkle to, to throw in there. I think... Um, I think the uh, damning evidence that he asked for extra time to get clean before this one uh, <laughs> is going to uh, rule against him. I think the poor uh, cook uh, goes down in flames. And sorry, you, you got to you got to 
cook on shore where they have less stringent requirements. You're absolutely right. You get the bill. The firing was upheld. And it's so sad because what the hell else are you going to do out on an oil rig? I mean, oh my <laughs> God. These are the, if you're going to allow somebody to do drugs, it's got to be them. Like, come on. Look, I, you know, if he's going to make a really good creme brulee and yeah. Chateaubriand, mm. I don't think he can be impaired. To, that's true. To that's do that kind of cooking. Very risky, right? Yeah. And that's the kind of food you're going to want on the oil rig. Well, very good. You, Thank you. Uh, you got the answer right. Made my whole week. Uh, and it is kind of complicated because different uh, states have different laws about drug tests. In general, the courts, I believe, have come down to the idea that when you take a job initially, the boss has a right to say you've got to take a drug test. You, absolutely everybody, if that's our company policy. But once you have the job, a lot of courts have said, you know, if there's a reason to believe that somebody is smoking dope or whatever, then you may insist on a test. But unless there is a reason to believe it, you may not just have random, yeah. you know, okay, you're the unlucky guy, Biff, uh, you know, pee into the cup. So, of course, this this case is a little weird because of what the guy said. Right. But, uh, you know, I, th I think the courts have been pretty sympathetic to a lot of objections to the drug test. I think the courts probably uh, just recognize that because uh, the Supreme Court is an appointment for life. They feel like they already got past that initial drug test hurdle. Yeah, and now right. they're like, no, no, you can't just randomly test the uh, people in the middle of their job in this way because it's an appointment for life. They'll never be tested again. These hey. potheads on the Supreme Court. You know, if you had to sit around listening to Clarence Thomas and Sonia Sotomayor all yeah. day, I think you'd need a little, a little of the bit ganja. Of relaxation. A little yeah. of the ganja. Mm -hmm. All right, so now, Connor, we've come to the point where people who are not interested in story time are free to just, you know, resume their normal lives. Why would but somebody not interested in our story time listen to this podcast? I can't imagine. So now we're going to shift gears. Yeah. Uh, this is the new feature, and it's called Stories I'd Tell My Friends If I Had Any. To clarify, I have several stories. Now, this has to do with my life as a game show contestant, Connor. And I was your, inspired, your prior career. Yeah, I was inspired to, to talk about this because of a Pat Sajak story in the news this week. I, I don't know if you, you saw the story about. Oh, yeah. The, the really we'll call them unlucky. Some people would call them uh, not too bright uh, contestants on Wheel of Fortune. It kind of reminded me of a Turd Ferguson. Now, do you remember on Saturday Night Live, Norm MacDonald had a character. Uh, he would play Burt Reynolds on right. Celebrity Jeopardy. Oh, yeah. Will Ferrell. Giant the, hat. Yeah. yeah. Played the long-suffering Alex Trebek. Yep. The giant hat. Yep. Yeah. And all the, you know, whether it's Sean Connery right. or, or, or Burt Reynolds, they're just Turd Ferguson stupid. was his name. Yeah. yeah. Well, Bert, uh, Norm MacDonald, as Burt Reynolds, called himself Turd Ferguson right. because he thought that was a funny name. It is. Will Ferrell did not think it was funny. Shocker. He, he resented it. So all of their answers were totally stupid. So now let's talk about Pat Sajak and the Wheel of Fortune. Uh, on March 1, uh, quite a memorable Wheel of Fortune was broadcast. Right. The puzzle read, there are a couple of letters missing, but basically everybody knew. The puzzle read, another feather in your three-letter word, middle letter A. So it's another, another feather, feather in your in blank your A blank. Now, blank. most people on the planet right. know the old expression, another feather in your cap. cap These yeah. three contestants, right. they didn't really One of them it. comes out of the <clears throat> gate strong with mm -hmm. another feather in your hat. He's so close. I mean, really. I yeah. mean, this is, this is, you should get partial credit for this. This is really, really close. Another and unfortunately one. said uh, that Pat Sajak has to say no. Yeah. Another one guessed another feather in your gap. 
Uh, Pat wasn't impressed no. with that and, answer and, and either. That person is dancing around it because they know that in their head somehow they're panicking. They're under the lights on TV. They, they know mm-hmm. it ends in P. They think, oh, yeah, I know it's app, 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 app. Uh, what's an app word? And then a third contestant guessed another feather in your lap. At this point, Pat Sajak was having some fun. He's saying, well, that's wrong, but the, that feather's really moving around here, you know? Yeah. Then there was another feather in your pap, map. It, it, finally, somebody guessed another feather in your cap. That was probably the only letter left. Yeah. So uh, to, to be perfectly honest, when I was in my game show phase in the 1970s, I went on Wheel of Fortune. Pat Sajak, I don't think had been born. <laughs> Chuck Woolery was the host. And I didn't answer a single question right a single puzzle i didn't solve a single puzzle so i was worse than these three people i'm making fun of now in my defense i did have some bad luck i rolled bankrupt twice but i had a few other opportunities and i solved no puzzles and i got uh, bath towels and dog food as lovely party that's the nature of the game you can't beat yourself up about it it's been 40 years or whatever you gotta let this go but there's a happy ending connor (laughs) because in addition to wheel and fortune i was also on a show called split second this was an abc nationally syndicated show hosted by tom kennedy and the way it worked was three contestants they were asked a bunch of trivia questions and general knowledge trivia general knowledge yeah show business sports whatever and up on the stage there were five gleaming general motors cars and if you won the day if you beat the other two contestants you got to pick one of the five cars and you got to actually try to start it they all had keys yeah but only one of the cars would start and so you know, if you won that day, if you beat the other two guys, but didn't get your, you know, only one out of five chance of winning the car, then you'd come back the next day. Yeah. And if you beat the two contestants that day, then there would be four cars. So you'd have a one out of four car yeah. chance and then three, two, one. So if you were so smart, like you win five Jennings, in a row, yeah. you win five in a row, you, you get the car the automatically. Guy. Yeah. So I'm sitting there uh, working uh, away trying to win. I was up against a housewife from Rubidoux and a PE teacher from Silmar, and they are kicking my butt. No. The whole half hour, I'm way behind. And, you know, so they're on their way. Yeah, they're on their way. So I was in third place going into the lightning round, the final final round. And in the final round, uh, because I was in third place, I had to answer five questions right to get to the cars. The other folks in first and second place only had to answer three or four questions. So I have a real disadvantage here. Uphill battle. So... The final uh, round commences and, and Tom Kennedy's firing questions at us. And I get one ride and one of the other folks gets one ride. And we go back and forth. Eventually, we get to the point where each of them has to answer only one question. Oh and I still need three questions because oh. I started out having yeah, to answer five. Yeah. So I'm still screwed. I'm still way behind. So then the miracle happens. Tom Kennedy says, here's a three-parter. Ooh. I'm going to give you the names of three actors and they're all named Joe. Uh, actually, I'm going to give you the name of three shows. And each of the shows, movie or TV show, has an actor in it named Joe. And mm-hmm. you have to tell me Joe's last name. Got it. And so he puts the names of the three shows up on the screen. I buzz in. And the first one was Sale of the Century, which was a game show in the mm-hmm. 70s. And I happen to know that Joe Garagiola was the host. So I say, Joe Garagiola was host of Sale of the Century. And then also up there uh, is McHale's Navy. Ooh. And I happen to know that Joe Flynn is a star of McHale's Navy. Yeah. So I say Joe Flynn. And then they have the movie, Some Like It Hot, the classic Jack Lemmon, Tony Curtis movie filmed down yeah. at the Del Coronado Hotel near San Diego. And I happen to know- Joe DiMaggio? Old, no, good guess. <laughs> 
Mr. Millennial. <laughs> well, Joe, Marilyn Monroe connection. Yeah, you're right. Joey Brown, ah. the 30s and 40s comedy actor, had a role in this. And I so I rattled them off. Boom, boom, boom. Boom, boom, boom. And I, I win the day. The PE teacher and the, the housewife, housewife are totally pissed off. They get dog food and bath so towels Tom, this time. Yeah, that's right. So Tom Kennedy says, okay, Royal, which car are you going to want to try to start up? Yeah. And I said... Uh, Tom, I'll, I'll, I'll take the Monte Carlo. And so Tom Kennedy says to, to Johnny, Johnny, tell Royal about the Monte Carlo. Well, he says, well, it's got a American styling and European handling. Ooh. Or maybe it could have been American handling and European styling. I don't yeah, remember. Yeah, yeah, but way. it had some handling and it had some styling on two different <laughs> continents. And so I get into the car. And just like on TV shows where you see somebody driving and, and you know, all these bright lights yeah. on their face, yeah. you say, well, nobody has bright lights on their face in a car. Right. Well, in a movie, you want to see the face. Well, they had bright lights on me. I'll bet they did. And I'm telling you, I was under the hot lights. I turned the key. A lot of pressure. And it starts. Nice. Oh, the place goes nuts. The confetti comes down. The balloons. It's like being nominated at the convention. Yeah. And my parents are in the front row. They bring my parents The whole up. audience is coughing from the car exhaust. <laughs> yeah. The audience is, is absolutely Indoor loving car it, is a bad even idea. though they're coughing. So yeah. it was wonderful. Right. So happy ending. Yeah. I, I get the car. I go down to Schoenlaw Chevrolet on Sunset Boulevard in Hollywood, where, where the car came from. Sure, they sold it to the yeah. show. Well, no. I, I, I was living in the dorm at UCLA. I didn't need a car. So I said, hey, you guys want to take this off? my hand hence they gave me five thousand dollars nice. a gleaming check for five thousand nice. dollars for a monte carlo look it up that's the kelly blue book value for a 1973 monte carlo and so everything went fine happy ending except six months later what what could happen you already not, got the money not such a happy ending. they can't six take the money later, away six months later i'm sitting around in the dorm at ucla and and all of us in the dorm we're, we're trying to get on every game show we can money fame glory and one of the guys who's on the game show circuit he says hey royal i'm i'm trying out for that show where you won the car a while back and i said oh that's great good luck he said yeah yeah i went down there for i've had a couple of interviews now and he said they talked about you and i said what, what do you mean they talked about me he said, well, they not only talked about you, they actually showed a videotape of you. What? Of you winning the car. I said, really? Why? And they said, well, he said, well, the thing is, they showed the video of you winning the car, and then they turned off the TV, and they looked at us very seriously, and they said, that's how you should not react. Oh, my God. Because I was so phlegmatic and uh, taciturn and all those <laughs> other fancy words for dull people. <laughs> Because I just basically apparently sat there and yawned as opposed to acting like I was out of my mind. Yeah, you got to go crazy. Price now, is right contestant now style. Here's Come the, on down. Now, here's the backstory. story. Uh, I was told when I tried out to get on Split Second, the only way you get on is if you're bubbly and vivacious and outgoing. And I said, but I'm not bubbly and vivacious and outgoing. I'm the opposite. Right. I, I just, you know, I'm not that way. And they said, well, okay, but you're not going to be on TV. So I made it my business during the interviews. There were a couple of different interviews to get onto the show. I made it my business to be bubbly and effervescent and outgoing. And doggone it, they put me on the show. And that's when I turned out to be a complete fake and fraud because I forgot to continue to be outgoing because I guess in my little mind in the 1970s, I said to myself, I'm here. I don't yeah, have to be bubbly course, anymore. You're right. So I, I suspect really feel bad about I think, it. No, I think they should have come and taken the money back. You I, ruined their whole show. I'm in a training film. <laughs> I mean, that is not a good what thing a freaking nightmare. for your legacy. No, it's not. 
So that's it. That's the story. Um, I, I, I hope. Well, I'm looking forward to my turn next week. I, I, you've got a whole week to come up with one. Yeah. Cogitate. Yeah. yeah. Exactly right. And, and so for those of you folks who have stayed in, hung into the bitter end, and heard not only all the legal stuff, but this absurd, tedious story, thank you so much for your support. And we'll see you next week on Too Many Lawyers. <laughs>